welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alerts podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Hood. And I'm Desi Muller. On today's episode, we learn how small businesses in Hannibal have capitalized on the town's reputation as the birthplace of Mark Twain. Afterwards, we'll get to hear from Her Impact, a program started by Ford for accelerating women-run social impact ventures. Their program's two-day entrepreneurship summit and pitch competition is coming to Kansas City next Thursday, so Destiny sat down with the event's organizers to learn more. As always, we will also provide the week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak to startup. Emily, what day is it? Well, it's Thursday when we're recording, but for the listeners, it's Friday the 23rd. Well, then you know what starts today if we are speaking as if it is the future? You know, I certainly do. The Olympics are starting this week. Are you going to be tuning in? I'm going to try to catch what I can. I'm really excited to watch some of the track and field events. Yeah, I love watching track, too. I can't believe how fast they can run. I I could never. Me neither. I'm stunned every time. That's why I love it. That and I just love running. I've never been a sprinter, but I did track and cross country in high school. Well, you could certainly beat me in a race, that's for sure. I chose volleyball at high school for two reasons. I am tall and I am bad at running. Hey, don't sell yourself short. Let's do a new section of the podcast today where we head down to the nearest track and take a lap. Oh, man. You know, that just sounds like a blast to me. She says, dripping with sarcasm. That sounds terrible. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. And I guess we just had to take a rain check on that because simply we just had to get to this week's headlines. Maybe next Olympics. Oh, all right. But uh, I'll hold you to it. I really hope you don't. For our first headline today, Columbia-based Equipment Share raised $230 million in a new funding round led by Tiger Global Management. The company creates software for construction companies to help them track and manage their equipment. Equipment Share said it would use the funding to launch a new product called T3, designed to allow construction companies to track multiple aspects of a job site. The startup also said it will be expanding across the country to reach more customers after the funding round. Equipment Share expects to add staff in 100 new U.S. cities this year. The Small Business Administration is putting final touches on its new Paycheck Protection Program Forgiveness Portal, and it is set to be released sometime in the next few weeks. The platform aims to simplify the forgiveness process for lenders and help small business owners as well. The platform will be on an opt-in basis for lenders because some banks are having no complications and wish to keep the process in-house. Square opened its new office in St. Louis Monday. The payment technology company says the 226,000 square foot space can hold up to 1,200 employees. The building, which used to house the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, underwent $70 million in renovations. Square's founders, Jack Dorsey and Jim McKelvey, grew up in St. Louis. They expressed excitement to be returning back to the city. The new office is part of a new innovation district near downtown aimed at adding more jobs to a part of the city struggling to attract large companies. SBA data show a huge discrepancy in pandemic relief funds between businesses in wealthy parts of Kansas City compared to businesses in the economically disadvantaged and historically black east side. 
Over 300 restaurants in the city received money this past year from the Restaurant Revitalization Fund. The grants varied from $1,000 to $10 million. Overall, the restaurants that received the most were Kansas City's biggest and best known. Destiny, what if I told you I met Mark Twain last week? Well, I'd probably think you'd gone crazy because he's been dead for more than a century. Well, sure. And, you know, you probably should. So I'm glad you have my back on that. But I will say I got as close to meeting Mark Twain as you can get in this day and age. Yeah? How'd you do that? I traveled to Hannibal as part of our Outstate series covering entrepreneurship in small towns across the state. Hannibal is internationally known as the childhood home of Samuel Clemens, better known by his pen name, Mark Twain. The town inspired many of his famous works. I think most people have at least heard of Mark Twain, so I imagine that's a pretty big attraction for them. Definitely. I spoke with a few businesses with ties to the author's childhood in Hannibal in the 1850s, including an actor who has been recreating Twain's lectures for almost two decades. When walking down Main Street in downtown Hannibal, it's hard to miss the Planters Barn Theater. The building's tan facade is made out of 18 inches of limestone brick. It was constructed as a barn for the Planters Hotel in 1849, 10 years after Mark Twain, who at the time was known as Samuel Clemens, and his family moved into town. When I was about four years of age, my parents removed themselves from Florida over on the Salt River here to Hannibal. And I grew up here. Banks of the Mississippi. That's actor Richard Gary performing his one-man show called Mark Twain himself. Gary bought the barn in 2003 and renovated it for his show, which he has been performing for almost 19 years. Today, the door in the back of the building where animals once came into the barn has been covered with a stage. He's performed for audiences from around the world, including congressmen, governors, famous writers, and even the Prince of Monaco. So what I do... I kind of follow in his footsteps because he would come out on stage and he didn't plan either. So he would come out, he would throw out some material, he would see how the audience reacted and then decide what he was going to do. And so I can do that now. In the early years I had to stick to script. Gary is one of many business owners who have benefited from Hannibal's international fame as Mark Twain's hometown. Twain lived in Hannibal from the fall of 1839 to the spring of 1853. Many of his most famous books, including The Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, reference people and landmarks in the northeast Missouri town. Tourism is a large part of Hannibal's economy. The downtown district has many businesses catering to tourists from around the world looking to learn more about the famous author. And what he expressed were really um, the... Uh, humanness, the human nature, and human nature doesn't change much with time. So when he writes about something in the 1800s, much of what he writes about is just as applicable today because he's dealing with human nature. That's Henry Sweets, the curator of the Mark Twain Boyhood Home and Museum in Hannibal. The museum sees about 50,000 visitors per year who can tour properties like Twain's childhood home and listen to parts of his works, like the adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Come on, kid. Get your 
Visitors in Hannibal can also tour the Mark Twain Cave Complex, which was the inspiration for McDougal's Cave and the Adventures of Tom Sawyer. In the book, Tom and Becky Thatcher become lost in the cave. Today, visitors can tour the cave's 260 passageways, learn about Twain's history, and see sites the author visited as a child. There's a place called Aladdin's Palace. It's the only place in the cave that still has a name Mark Twain. The complex was owned by the Colbert family dating back to 1923, but was sold to new ownership last year. Over the past 30 years, former owner Linda Colbert said the property has expanded to include more activities, including a winery, a sandwich shop, and a rock shop. You need multiple activities for people to do. They just, you just don't want them to come out here and do a cave and scuttle back to town. You want them to linger in, on your property. Developing an identity that goes beyond Twain is not a new concern in Hannibal. Local residents are at odds about their relationship with the author and his connection to the future of the town. Mackenzie Disselhorst, the executive director of the Hannibal Chamber of Commerce, says some locals believe the town is too reliant on Twain, get tired of tourists visiting the area, or simply don't like the author. She mentioned concerns over the banning of Twain's work in schools across the country impacting his popularity. I think you're seeing fewer kids who are growing up reading Mark Twain's stories. Um, so that just gives us a little bit different perspective on what we need to do going into the future. Like maybe not putting all of our eggs in the Mark Twain basket and making sure that we think about Hannibal as a place for business to thrive and people to enjoy visiting regardless of whether or not they have any knowledge of Mark Twain. Hannibal has been diversifying some of its attractions, including adding a museum celebrating vintage cars and pop culture in 2016. But its connection to Mark Twain remains strong. I think that Hannibal is forever tied to Mark Twain. Anyone who reads Mark Twain is told that he's writing about Hannibal. And that connection is uh, a very unusual one. Uh, you don't normally find a person that tied to a community. And that's something that we've uh, been using for years, and I see that it's going to continue into the future because as long as Mark Twain is known, this association is there. female entrepreneurs in your family? Yes, I do, actually. My mom has been running her own business ever since I was little. I even used to be a very small entrepreneur myself. I sold homemade duct tape wallets in a store in my hometown. What about you? No, no entrepreneurs, but a lot of teachers. But I would love to take an entrepreneurial venture one day. Oh, really? You got any ideas? Pitch something to me. Well, I don't have any good pitches right now, but... If I needed some guidance, I'd know where to get some. Where at? At the Her Impact Pitch Competition being held in Kansas City next week. Who's pitching and what are they pitching for? Female entrepreneurs are pitching and they're competing to win a share of $50,000 to fund their new businesses. The event began in 2017 when the Ford Motor Company Fund discovered how little venture capital goes to female-led startups. As of 2021, it's still below 3%. Kansas City will be the fourth city to hold this event. I spoke with two of the event's coordinators, Melissa Bradley of 1863 Ventures and Giselle Cabrera of the Ford Motor Company Fund, to learn more. 
Thank you, Melissa and Giselle, for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. First, Melissa, could you tell us a little bit about 1863 Ventures and what the company does? Sure. 1863 Ventures is an accelerator and business development program based in the nation's capital. Our goal is to help new majority entrepreneurs, African-American, Latina, Latino, and Asian-American entrepreneurs across the country. Thank you. And Giselle, you are the real starter behind Her Impact. Tell us about the Ford Fund and the story behind starting Her Impact. Yeah, so the uh, the Ford Fund is the philanthropic arm of the Ford Motor Company. And our mission really is to strengthen communities and help make people's lives better. And so we knew that, you know, women traditionally experience more challenges as business owners and that they are really the engine of a lot of communities' economic success. And we wanted to help uh, bridge that gap, specifically the capital gap that, that women entrepreneurs do not receive as, as many investments as their uh, male counterparts, especially women of color. And so we developed this program to help women entrepreneurs and women social entrepreneurs especially because they are so important for their communities and really have a huge impact in their communities to provide them with not just the capital, through business grants that they need to start and grow their businesses, but also the coaching, the mentoring, and the support to make sure that they're successful. You said you especially want to help social entrepreneurs and that this is who the pitch competition is specifically for. How do you define a social entrepreneur? So we define a social entrepreneur as someone who has a for-profit business, right? They need to be making money. Uh, but that they are very intentional about having a social impact with their business. And that can be anything from, you know, making sure that they are, you know, hiring minorities or creating opportunities for uh, groups that have been underrepresented with their business or their service or whatever product that they provide. But the key there is that they have to be intentional it has to be this, this social component has to be baked into their business model. Now, Her Impact is a two-parter in Kansas City. Last month was the Entrepreneurship Summit held on Zoom, where women in the area could go to seminars, learn about social entrepreneur best practices, and meet each other. The pitch competition is also being held online next week, Thursday the 29th. The finalists tell their pitches live, then the winners will be awarded $50,000 in prizes at the end. How are the winners decided? So the best part is they're decided by judges. Um, So they'll be members of the Kansas City business ecosystem, members of our advisory council who actually decide, as well as representatives from Ford Motor Company Fund. So excited to say that there'll be local folks helping to pick local businesses. And the beauty is, is that this year in Kansas City, we're also gonna have an audience award. So not only will the judges get to pick, but folks who tune in will have an opportunity to be able to vote, which is awesome. What social enterprises have you seen really competitive pitches for this year? Are there any KC-based trends? I would say, again, compelling folks who are doing things in the solar space, uh, who've had great traction in the Kansas City region and now looking to go national. We have folks who are developing sustainable products in the areas of food and the like, using eco-friendly inputs and developing eco-friendly outputs. We have folks who are working in underserved communities and really trying to move the needle on academic as well as economic advantage. Why do you guys think women entrepreneurs obtain less venture capital? I'd say the biggest thing is is just bias, right? I think that as a 
former and current venture capitalists, I would say there are not a lot of women uh, and there are not a lot of people of color in the space. And I think if you typically associate uh, investment with Silicon Valley, it is, I'd say 98% white men. And I think that, you know, they just don't see regular folks around them that, that are portrayed as successful, viable businesses. I think the other piece too, which has been great about her impact is that a lot of our companies are not tech companies. And so, you know, venture capital tends to be laser focused on technology. And so it's not an automatic spot for some of our companies to go. And so we've worked hard to have this grant money to get them to get on shelves of stores and to grow their businesses and to improve their marketing. And I think, you know, unfortunately there is a bias in venture capital toward tech companies. And so if that's not your business, then, you know, if you're a female social entrepreneur, you've, you've got a double whammy against you. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Destiny. note for anyone who's interested you can learn more about the pitch competition in kansas city and how to be a part of it at herimpact.net now let's get to the digits my digit for this week is 700 and i bet you can't guess what that number means 700 interesting could that be the number of items a startup sold recently a good guess, but no. 700 is the number of ships that were more than one week late when arriving on the West Coast during the first five months of 2021. I've got a feeling that's not helping all the supply chain issues. You've got that right. The number of late ships has increased drastically this year. From 2012 to 2020, there were a total of 1,500 ships that arrived late. To be clear, that's 1,500 ships over nine years. Small businesses have been struggling with these shipping delays in 2021, as they compete for cargo space with large retailers like Walmart and Amazon. I bet that gets expensive quick. It certainly does. Small and mid-sized businesses are paying about three times what they would normally pay to ship their goods quickly. And even then, delays are common. This comes on top of rising costs and a labor shortage that these businesses have already been facing. So what's the future of these shipping delays? Is there anything small businesses can do? Well, experts aren't predicting demand to slow down anytime soon. Many businesses are already placing orders for merchandise for the end of the year. Man, and I thought it was too early to start thinking about Christmas after Halloween. It's not even fall yet. All right, Emily, are you ready for my digit? Let's hear it. 1.2. 1.2. Views on YouTube, shares of AMC. 1.2%. Got it. 1.2% was the unionization rate of the food service sector in 2020. That seems pretty low. It is. It's the lowest percentage out of any sector of the American economy. The average is nearly 11%. But all over the country this summer, unionization efforts for restaurants are popping up. Employees say organizing has been of interest for years, but between the pandemic and racial justice discussions, the conversations with employers have taken off. What do they want? Personal protective equipment, overtime pay, and anti-racism training are big requests. From independent restaurants, bars, and bakeries in particular, the light of the pandemic revealed poor working conditions, and employees want to feel safer and better compensated. 
That's such a decentralized industry. That can't be easy to achieve. It's not. How long-lasting these summer efforts will be remains unclear. The willingness is there, but the high turnover rate for the industry, among many other things, creates some serious obstacles. That's just about it for this week's episode, save for our closing thought. Here's Melissa Bradley on her definition of success. I think in some cases the media has let us down in being able to promote what success looks like. Uh, you know, for a long time I have kids, they would say, oh, success is the guy with the hoodie. Uh, but the success are people who are doing recycling in Florida uh, between Haiti, which was their homeland in Florida. Success is a PhD who is out there really solving diseases. Success is bringing what they learned from West Africa to America around financial literacy. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. The episode was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Desi Muller, and Emily Hood. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. You can follow us on social media at Mo Business Alert. That's M-O Business Alert. And subscribe to the MBA newsletter on our website. Have a great week. We'll speak with you next time.